Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. He came into Egypt with his wife, and he would have left without his wife. Boy, do those words have meanings for us. And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife. And we could just picture Abraham leaving Egypt and saying to himself, I went down into Egypt with my wife. I almost lost my wife in Egypt. But by the grace of God, I'm going up out of Egypt with my wife. That is just a miracle that Abraham leaves Egypt with his wife. I mean, verse 1, it's a miracle that Abraham is leaving Egypt with his wife. We can just picture Abraham as he's leaving Egypt, just thinking to himself, this verse, the scene of it all, he's leaving Egypt with his wife, and he thinks about leaving Egypt with his wife, and he leans over, and he puts his arm around her, I think, and he says to himself, you know, I'm not going to take this gal for granted anymore, and at least, we hope he did, (laughs) so... You should have. But that's a good thing. That's a good lesson. That's a good thing for us to do. Never take our spouse for granted. Neman is his name. He's worked in our Mouse Vivarium for three years now in Scanby Staccati. He's a model employee, Neman. Every day, Neman showers and shampoos in. He puts on his sterile moon suit. He works all day in his sterile dome with his 10,000 mice. That's his responsibility. He's either pairing them for breeding, or he's feeding them, or he's changing out the cages from the sterile transfer cart that comes in. He's cleaning the room. He's making sure the temperature, the humidity are recorded within limits. He's recording the data for each mouse. He's injecting the mice. He's harvesting the antibodies from the mice. He works all day in his sterile dome with his mice with HEPA-filtered air, rushing around him all the time. And there's not one bit of his skin that's showing in that room. He's totally covered. Neman is diligent. And if Neman was not diligent, then we might have an infection in our mouseville colony of 150,000 mice down there. But there's there's no vivarium in the world that has 150,000 mice in one place that has not had an infection. But by the grace of God, we have not had an infection. And Neman is part of that team that's responsible for that. The vivarium at Takati is certified by ALAC, which is a big deal. I mean, you know, it's, it's called the Association for Assessment and Accreditation in Laboratory Animal Care. And Scanabize Takati is the only ALAC certified vivarium in all of Mexico, Central America, South America that's not a government institution. And Neman is a part of that, of that team that's responsible for that. Neman never misses a day of work, is absolutely dependable. And our Takati Vivarium team, it's a tight team. You know, because of the potential contamination, that team cannot eat in, in the uh, company restaurant. They have to be isolated, so they have their own dining room. And every day the kitchen prepares their meals, sends it down into their dining room, and, uh, and you have to shower and shampoo to go into their dining room, so I've never been there. <laughs> so, and, um, but in our company restaurant, surrounding our company restaurant, there are bronze plaques with Bible verses on it. Well, because I've never been there, I forgot about it. So, 
So their isolated dining room didn't have those, and so the team sends up a message, says, Where's our, where are our Bible verse plaques, you know? <laughs> so it's a tight team, and Nehemiah's a part of that team. Nehemiah has a wife. Nehemiah has a son. Nehemiah has a new baby. And last Sunday, Nehemiah and his wife were driving on the free road between Tijuana and Tecate. They were coming home from church. I mean, it had been a long morning with his wife, his new baby, like every Sunday, the family got up early, got all rest ready for church. They drove the free road down to the church, spent the day in church. Now they're back on the free road, and they're going home, looking forward to Sunday lunch, when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a car hits Neman's car. Instantly, his wife is killed. Instantly, his new baby is killed. And Neman and his, his son, they're barely alive. And so the ambulance comes, and they took him and his son to the general hospital in Takati, and somehow, we don't understand how, he had no identification on him. So the hospital had no idea who he was. They didn't know who he was. Now, Sylvia is our second shift nurse at Scantibodies. Everybody knows Sylvia at Scantibodies. I mean, I know Sylvia. She gives me the IV treatments to keep my cancer away when I go down there. And she, Sylvia just happens to be working at the general hospital of Takati. And Neman and his son arrive, and she is working on them in the emergency room to stabilize them. Neman knows Sylvia. Sylvia knows Neman because as one of the scantibized nurses. She's taking care of Neman at work. But the patient she is working on to stabilize that last Sunday has no identification, and he's so bloody that Sylvia does not even recognize it's her colleague, Neman, that she's trying to stabilize. He's un- and he's unconscious, so he doesn't know that it's Sylvia that's working on him to save his life. And so on Monday at Scantibodies, last Monday, Neman doesn't come to work. And that's not like Neman to not come to work. So immediately we start calling his house, but there's no answer. You know, where's Neman? Finally, Neman's uncle comes to Scantibodies and he tells us what happened. And somehow the hospital still does not know who he is. And so because of his dire condition, they transfer him to the ICU unit at the general hospital in Tijuana. So we rush to the hospital, and we tell him who he is, and we say, look, through scantibodies, he's paid into the Social Security system. So our team says, we've got to transfer him to the Social Security hospital, which is better. And every day last week, we go to the hospital. The team goes to the hospital, pray for him, but he doesn't wake up. He's still in a coma. And when he does come out of the coma, our team's worried. You know, How are they going to tell him, Neman, you lost your wife? And this verse 1 in uh, chapter 13 here, is, we so appreciate what we see here because it says that Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and Abraham knows that he nearly lost his wife in chapter 12. And so he says, I'll never take, we hope he says, I'll never take my wife for granted. I almost lost her in Egypt. But by the grace of God, he has not lost his wife in Egypt. And so... It's a message to us, husbands, appreciate your wives. Because in an instant, like Neman, could be taken from you. And wives, appreciate your husbands of yours, because in an instant you could lose them. I have to tell my wife that more often. Anyway, so in this history, uh, this is a history of God, by his grace, saving the marriage of Abraham. And so what we're starting to do as we see this history and we see what happened here is we're starting to build the meaning. And we're going to keep building the meaning behind a very important name for God. 
because it's God who gives himself this name when he said, I am the God of Abraham. That's what he said. First, he says that to Isaac. He says it to Jacob. He says it to Moses. It's a name that he continually calls himself by. I am the God of Abraham. And we want to know, what does he mean by saying, I am the God of Abraham? What's the depth behind that statement, I am the God of Abraham? We're starting to build it here. We're starting to get the picture. We're starting to get the painting pick uh, made. The three dimensions are starting to come together behind the name, I am the God of Abraham, as we see this history of God, by his grace, saving the marriage of Abraham. So we can say that God might as well say, I am the God of Abraham that saved the marriage of Abraham from his sin. And put it that way. I am the God of Abraham that saved Abraham from his sin. Does that sound familiar? It's just like what the angel meant when he told Joseph that he was to give this name to the child, to the baby. And it says in Matthew 121, And she shall bring forth the son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What have we seen in this chapter? We've seen that the Lord Jesus, as the God of Abraham, has just saved Abraham from his sins. And so when he comes now in the flesh, the God of Abraham, Jehovah Jesus, Joseph is told, you name him Jesus because he will save, as he saved Abraham from his sins, so he will save his people from their sins, from their own faults, Abraham's fault. And God saved him from his fault. So we read in verse 1, we see here Abraham leaving Egypt, and it's a wonderful scene. Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him. Well, you know, anyway, what can we say? He's got Lot. Into the south. Abraham went down into Egypt with relatively, well, let's just put it this way, not as much as when he came out. (laughs) So Abraham went down into Egypt with not as much as he came out. In Egypt, Abraham faced a hardship, to say the least, and a great danger of having lost his wife forever. But he also faced the danger of his seed being stopped right there in Egypt, the seed between Abraham and Sarah. All that danger, all that hardship was because of the Egyptians. And so what happened? The mighty hand of God protected Abraham from losing his family. And how did the mighty hand of God do it? By what? Plagues. By plagues. And then the Egyptians, led by Pharaoh, give to Abraham their great wealth so that Abraham leaves a rich man. Now, what book in the Bible have I just summarized? Exodus, that's right. Exodus. You see, because we see this. This is a pattern here. See, first we've seen how Abraham, he had no intention of going into Egypt. Oh, no, he don't want anything to do with Egypt or those Egyptians. They got a reputation, those people do. So he wanted to, he had been in the place where God had called him to, the land of Canaan. He wanted to stay in the land of Canaan. He had no intention of going down there to Egypt because after all, he was in the land. God didn't promise him Egypt. God promised him Canaan. He was in the Canaan. He was in the right place. But something happened that drove Abraham down to, out of Canaan into Egypt. What was it? It was a famine. It was a famine, verse 10. 
And there was a famine in the land. Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Uh, we're going to, as we go into the point in Genesis, we're going to see how Jacob, he has no intention of going into Egypt. He's heard all the stories. And he wanted to stay right where he was in the land of Canaan. God had promised him the land. He was in the land. And that he had no intention of going down there to Egypt. But it was a famine that drove Jacob out of Canaan and into Egypt. As it says in Genesis 42, 1 through 3, Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look upon one another? Uh, Yeah, they had a secret, but anyways. And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy us from us thence, that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn into Egypt. And then it says in Genesis 43, 1 and 2, the famine was sore in the land, like it was grievous, as they said about Abraham. And it came to pass when they had eaten up all the corn that they had bought in Egypt, their father said unto them, go again, buy us a little corn, a little food. And then we saw how Abraham was afraid as he thought about going into Egypt. He was afraid this is what was happening. So as he's marching down there toward Egypt, he comes up with this plan. He thinks of a plan that's going to protect him from the Egyptians. And he says in verse 11, when he he was near to enter into Egypt, he says to his wife in the whole, uh, the problem plan. Anyway, but then we also see, or we will see, how Jacob, he was also afraid uh, for his family to go into Egypt. And so he also devised a plan to protect them from the Egyptians. It says in Genesis 43, 11, their father Israel said unto them, if it must be so, now do this. Take of the best fruits of the land in your vessels. Carry down the man a present. A little balm, a little honey, spices, myrrh, nuts, almonds. Sounds pretty good. Anyway, and then we also saw how Abraham entered into Egypt, as we've mentioned, with less compared to what he left Egypt with. And we're going to see how when Jacob enters into Egypt, he has greatly less than when he left. It will say in Genesis 46, 26, all the souls that came in, with Jacob in Egypt, which came out of his loins, being Jacob's sons, with Jacob's sons' wives, all the souls were three score and six. Now, when the Egyptians took Abraham's wife away from him, we saw how the Egyptians put a great hardship on Abraham that threatened to stop his seed. And in Exodus, this is what all these first two chapters of Exodus are all about, when the Jewish people were in Egypt, they were put into a slavery that made their life bitter with hard bondage. And then the Egyptians put in this plan to destroy their seed by systematic extermination of the Jewish people. That's what it says, Exodus 1.11. They set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. They built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. And in Exodus 1.14 through 16, it says they made their life bitter with hard bondage, mortar, brick, all manner of service in the field. All their service when they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake unto the Hebrew midwives, and he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, you shall, then you shall kill him. In Exodus one twenty two. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you save alive. So, there's one word that from chapter 12, verse 15, that really brings home to us just how desperate Abraham felt, just how hopeless the situation is, just how helpless 
he found himself. And in verse 15 where it says, the princess also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken, that's the word, taken into Pharaoh's house. When we read the word taken, we can feel Abraham's despair. We can feel how helpless he feels, how hopeless he feels. He watches his wife being taken away from him. And she's slated to become one of Pharaoh's wives. There's nothing he can do about it. Nothing Abraham could do by himself to get her back. He was absolutely helpless to get Sarah, his wife, back. When the Jewish people were in Egypt, they were absolutely desperate. They were absolutely hopeless and helpless as slaves under the Egyptians. Everything was going according to how Pharaoh had planned And in Exodus 2.23, it says, It came to pass in process of time, king of Egypt dies, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. So all they could do was sigh and cry. That's it. They had nothing else they could do. Now, why did they sigh and cry? Because they were helpless, because they were hopeless. There was nothing that they could do as they looked at their Egyptian taskmasters and the Egyptians who were killing them systematically. It was as if the Jewish people looked every day at smokestacks, and they saw the smoke coming out, and they realized they're burning our people. And unless help comes from the outside, they were on a track to be destroyed, just like the Nazis. And unless help came from the outside at that time, they would be destroyed. And help did come from the outside, not not themselves. Now, we saw in verse 17 how God delivered Abraham out of his trouble in Egypt with great plagues, it says, great plagues on Pharaoh. See, God was practicing. (laughs) He was great plagues and, and on his house, as it says in Genesis 12, 17. The Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. So God brought the Jewish people, he brought Abraham out of Egypt through great plagues. He brought the Jewish people out of uh, Egypt through great plagues, 10 of them. And it said in in, uh, Exodus 9.14, For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants, speaking to Pharaoh, and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto me in all the earth. Now, we saw that it was Pharaoh himself that sent Abraham out of Egypt. Pharaoh could, he couldn't wait to get rid of Abraham. He brought a lot of trouble onto his land because of those plagues of God. So it says in Genesis 12, 20, we've been studying that Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. And after Pharaoh in Moses' day had been plagued by God, he himself sent Moses and the Jewish people out of Egypt is he couldn't wait to get rid of them, to get them out because of the plagues. It says in Exodus 12, 30-33, Pharaoh rose up in the night. He had all his servants and all the Egyptians. There was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. It's the last plague. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up, get you forth from among my people, both ye and your children and the children of Israel. Go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks, take your herds. And as you've said, be gone, and bless me also. <laughs> That's funny. And the Egyptians were urgent, it says. They were urgent upon the people that they might send them away out of the land in haste, for they said, we be all dead men. So when Abraham left Egypt, we read in both the last verse 
of chapter 12. In the first verse of chapter 13, not about his wife, but those, we read four words where it says, and Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away in his house, and all that he had. And then in verse 1, it says, And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. So those words, all that he had, are very important. Because what was it, all that he had? <laughs> well, it's described for us in verse 16. It was the deal. It was the payment for Sarah. He entreated Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, asses, men servants, maidservants, she asses, and camels. So when, when, when Pharaoh sent Abraham out, he didn't ask for the, his stuff back. <laughs> he didn't say, now give me, you know, here's your wife, so give me what I get on it. He said, just get out of here. And when the Jewish people left Egypt, God instructed the Jewish people to collect their back wages. <laughs> it says borrow, you know, but really God was having them collect their back wages for building all those pyramids. In spite of the fact that Anwar Sadat said there's no record of Jewish people being in Egypt, it doesn't matter. But... <laughs> But, um, but those pyramids were built by Jewish hands, thank you very much. And so when God told them, when you leave, you've got a lot of back wages to collect. So it says in Exodus 3.22, but every woman, they're good at collecting the back wages. Every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver, jewels of gold, raiment, and ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. Okay, so we've gone through this, we've seen this parallel with Abraham, what happened in Moses' day. What's it all mean? Is it just an interesting repeat of history? No, because God wanted the Jewish people in Egypt to look back at the history of Abraham, like we've been studying here in chapter 12, and to follow David's call to the Jewish people, as he said in Psalm 115, 9, O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is your help and the shield. And today, God wants Israel to study this chapter. In chapter 12 here, as God's calling them, as it says in Isaiah 51, 2, look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bear you, and realize that Abraham found himself hopeless and helpless. You can have a theme song for your country called Hatikva the Hope, but you're hopeless and helpless against your enemies and with, if you don't have the help and hope of Jehovah Jesus. And today, with the world turning against the Jewish people, the world's turning against Israel, and Christians are turning against also. And so the Jewish people are beginning to find themselves as Abraham, hopeless and helpless. Even Christians, even Christians turning against with the replacement theology, which is nothing more than the castaway theology, which is referenced in Romans 11.1. 1. This uh, the letter from a listener to the radio program, he identifies himself, he says he's a believer in the Lord, and then he says that uh, he has, uh, he, he said, there's one controversy I have with you. I thought, just one? But anyway, <laughs> and others that believe that the Jewish people that live in the land of Israel today are the real Jews. The true people of that land, Israel, today are scattered among all nations as the Holy Scriptures prophesy. The last time that the Israelites were in their land was in 70 A.D., when Titus, the Roman general, and his army invaded that land, slaughtered the Israelites, which God allowed to happen because of the sins of the people. Anyway, the Jewish people that are in the land today are converts to a religion that's not really their own. These people are from Khazar Empire, from Western Europe, from the Black Sea to Caspian to the Volga. 
And uh, a Jewish man, Arthur Kessler, wrote about it called the 13th tribe. And uh, he says, the true Jews are Negroes. That's why I got my hair this way, see? (laughs) They're West Indians, the people of Haiti, Dominicans, Puerto Rico, Brazil, Colombia, Panama, North American Indians, and the Seminole Indians. (laughs) Okay? And Negro descent. Okay? So So what we see here is a wave beginning. This is a Palestinian deception. You go on YouTube and you'll see this. The Palestinians who want to destroy the people who are in the land of Israel are propagating this. The people who are in the land of Israel are not really Jews. So the Palestinians now all of a sudden they love the Jews, but they just happen to be the Jews, just happen to be uh, Seminole Indians. (laughs) So anyway, so what was happening here is that even the church is beginning this wave against the Jewish people in Israel. So they'll find themselves alone. And God wants them to do, he says, look to your father, Abraham. Look what happened to your father in Egypt. Look what happened to your people in Egypt. And, O Israel, trust thou in the Lord, in Jehovah Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for recording these things for us so that, Lord, we can trust in you with all of our heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor.